Welcome to the next track. A podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. And thanks. A couple of weeks ago, we did a show where we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. It was a couple of months ago that we were talking about things to do during lockdown when at the time it seemed like it, gosh, it might be kind of fun. And there might be some interesting things that uh, that come from it. And one of the things I talked about was that there's a guy locally here in Boston who does uh, a streamcast of music. And the cool thing about it is he's actually a very well-known DJ who found himself without any places to go DJ at. This is the first time I've met him, but he and I have been knocking back and forth with each other on Twitter for years. But it's a pleasure to meet you, TJ Connolly. Hello. How are you? I'm great, and it's great to meet you guys. I am... Uh... A listener, so I am hopping through the uh, the fourth wall or something. I'm not really sure, but <laughs> it's it's great when we have listeners who are guests, so they so they know our rhythm and our routine and all that. Absolutely. the The funniest thing is when Doug was talking about you a couple months ago. He was saying, "Yeah, he's a DJ at baseball games." It's like they have DJs at baseball games now. If you've listened to the podcast, you know that I left <laughs> the states in 1984, and you know they didn't uh, have baseball then. Yeah, they had baseball, but all they had was organ music. I mean, I used to go to New York Rangers games in Madison Square Garden. Do 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 do. You know, it was the same organ music over and over with an actual organist. Which actually, the guy for the Rangers is one of the best known people in the uh, entire sports music. But I believe he's the guy behind Jock Jams. He's the dude who makes really. Yeah, Ray Kessler. It's a collection of CDs of of sports music. Yeah, like you're. Everything you ever heard in a sports game usually started from there. Uh, it was like a thing they released with ESPN. But he's the organist for the Rangers and works with the company. He's actually the DJ for the Super Bowl. So we have managed to get to know each other because being the for the Patriots, we've actually established wow. a dialogue at this point. Uh, <laughs> last year, it was like, you got all the same stuff? I was like, yeah, here's a couple new ones. I was like, great, cool, see ya. You know, <laughs> it was Before we get ahead of it, we should explain that TJ... Plays music at Red Sox games when they're at home, at Bruins games when they're at home, and at Patriots games when they're at home. So he's, he's, he's got this triple threat sports DJ thing going on. I didn't even know there was such a thing. Yeah, I, I, well, there are a couple other people uh, out there. I think the Phillies, uh, or I should say the Philadelphia teams in general, have the same DJ. Um, but it's not very common that there's one person who's doing them all. And, uh, and there's a different guy who does the Celtics, which is 100% fine with me because... All four is really a lot of nights. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's nice to... Yeah, that's right. You have to work nights most of the time, except for the occasional afternoon baseball. Well, no, football's in the afternoon, isn't it? Yeah, it depends. When, do we, yeah. when it's the Patriots, often it is the late night game. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's a lot of fun. I've been doing it for 15 years. I started with the Red Sox, and then that led to the Patriots. And then I kind of campaigned to get the Bruins job. Uh, with the guys from there and managed to convince them that it was a good idea. But how long has this been a thing, DJing at sporting events? Um, like the Well, I can't speak to the DJing in general. I know that they were using popular music in places in the mid to late 90s. Okay. But, and a lot of places still have organists. Some people use canned organ music from time to time, but Fenway has its own live organist, and uh, the Bruins have their own live organist also. Obviously, there's no organ in football. But, um, but there should be. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you know what I do sometimes, actually? Oh, you you lover of classical music may appreciate this and will definitely fix my pronunciation, which will be bad. But uh, Mars, the god of war, the holst. Holst, the planets. Yeah. Holst. I use that holst. for a stinger at uh, football games in the notion that, like, at a college game, you have the college band, right? So I actually yeah. went through some classical stuff trying to figure out what would have the appropriate, like, you know, blood and fury type noise and uh that one came up there's a couple other ones but well flight of the valkyries right dun, 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 no dun. flight of the bumblebees ride of the valkyries oh, ride of the valkyries right right <laughs> well you can also use flight of the bumblebee too that's that's the that, yeah i don't know and what the bruins have for. a weird uh the, the nut rocker by b bumble and the stingers which is a sort of yeah. piano of yeah that's one of their themes and then the ventures did a cover of it and so there's little bits there but i will tell you that when i played the holst in the uh Patriots game, everybody in the control room kind of looked over at me like, I kind of like this, but it was not what, like, you know, this is not Machine Head, huh? And I'm like, no. <laughs> so. so is that generally heavy metal? Is that what they want? Um, it's kind of... I mean, you're, you're dealing with a, a predominantly masculine, young, what, 20 to 50, 20 to 60 year old audience? No? More, it, well, particularly for Gillette, because... Uh, Gillette is the Patriots state. Thank Gillette, you. yeah. Yeah, you've got to explain things to me. Um, but uh, that, there's a lot of people who are, it is, it's out further out of the city. And so the group there is probably 40 to 60, actually, of the people who are actually in the building. Um, and all over the place, uh, as opposed to that. But it's, um, sometimes, so the, the trick is to play music that they will enjoy and also music that will get the players psyched up, who are, in oh, general, right. not between 40 and 60. Right. Um, <laughs> and that is a real challenge to try and mix them. i hadn't thought of that before you're right um there definitely is a conflict there's definitely a formatting problem there yeah yeah it's uh i mean you can find a blend right i mean it's just sure depends for certain things you know that it's about the crowd noise and in other ones the crowd will go with it because they know it's what the players are going for so but if i play so, like, all hip-hop the entire day the general patriots season ticket holder base would be like what are you doing so you're playing music before the game and then what yep. do you do when there's a commercial break you play you have a few minutes to play a song and then you have to fade out if it finishes uh it usually the, I, the longest i ever play is for like two two and a half minutes that's how long commercials yeah. go um but there's also in the case of most sports other stuff programmed into that two minutes like they do that's yeah. where the whole in-game entertainment and yeah. Depending on what level or aesthetic you're at, you know, that's, hey, it's Frisbee dog time, you know, that, that not a thing that we do at any of those places, but there's a good example. Um, so it's actually, it's a lot of it's about the hook. It's about finding the part of the song that works yeah. the best quickly. Um, so you can't start playing a song with a 30 second intro. You've got to go right to the, the key parts. Yeah. And it's funny, actually, there's even a big difference between baseball and football. Like I took some tracks from baseball to football and because of sort of the pacing of baseball, you know, you can have five seconds of an intro, like building to a thing happening and you can sort of do that in hockey too. But like football, you just don't have time. The biggest yeah. thing about football is what's called a stinger, which is on third and fourth down between 40 seconds on the clock. I basically have 18 seconds to try and motivate everyone in that building to scream their heads <laughs> off and make it so that the other team can't hear their quarterback. And that, that's where the holes goes. Right. That's the skill. That's where the skill is, right? Yeah, the skill, the ability to edit, the like having a a, a big library to draw from, and a lot of experience to try new things. And yeah. like sometimes it doesn't work too. So, 
But that's really, you know, I, I think of DJs and clubs and like you play a song and people gyrate and you segue into the next song. But what you're doing here is totally different. You're crafting something in, in little bits and pieces to maintain a rhythm and ambience and all that. This is really interesting. I never thought of this. Can I also say that you also, you weave the atmosphere yourself. I mean, you're in control sometimes of the atmosphere. I know. I don't know if we have time to go into how, how Josie works, but there's a certain point in, in usually in a, in a home Patriots game where the Patriots are so well ahead of the game, there's no way they're going to lose. There's a particular song that's played, and everybody knows it. And, I mean, that's when he becomes the star, sort of. Actually, Zolak becomes the star, but... But you're the star because you're the one that's 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 decided, okay, everybody, we know we can't lose. There was a kind of funny moment, actually, like two or so years in, I had come up with some other songs that work in that, you know, fourth quarter type way. And um, it was funny in that I came, added a bunch of things, like, you know, added a bunch of clubs to the bag, whatever you want to call it. And like, then I got to the point where I had to sort of clear them with people. I'm like, is now an okay time for Josie? Because it was such an event in the stadium. And they were right. like, I don't know. And I'm like, look, they're going to leave. Like, you got you to gotta bring them back in. But it's different for each sport how that goes. One of the things that my background is actually in uh, theater and improv comedy, uh, where I basically honed this job of playing. I became the tech guy, so I was doing the lights and the music. So playing music for playing songs for 20 seconds in between things is basically my specialization and has been forever. And reading the room. It's apparently your superpower then. Could be. I mean, yeah, it's, it's reading the room when it's a 200 person basement in the North end or when it's 80,000 people in a stadium, it is more or less the same, to be honest. Like you, if yeah. you play a dud, you can tell it just feels worse yeah. uh, <laughs> when it doesn't work, go off very well. One of the problems in big stadiums though, is that the sound isn't that good. That's actually less true than it used to be. Okay. See, I, I grew up going to see the New York Jets and going to see New York Rangers and, and all of them. And I guess in Madison Square Garden, it was always good because, you know, they had that big central PA. But in Shea Stadium, I mean, it was terrible, particularly with the wind whipping around. Right. It's, um, it is an amazing amount of gear that I know more about than I want to that is not a lot in total um, in terms of how stadium audio works now. Uh, but it is, for example, at Fenway, every fan has three speakers pointed at them, if that makes sense. Like there's a throw and a, yeah. so it's, it's, yeah. it, it manages to stay consistent across, uh, the entire stadium. A funny thing about that, actually, when I first started at Fenway, uh, when I was the backup guy in 2005, all of the speakers, it was, it's what you're talking about. All of the speakers were in a garage door in center field for the entire park. <laughs> And like yeah. that was just how it worked, and it was underneath the bleachers, and they were happy, so whatever. But <laughs> the big sing along that actually precedes me at Fenway is Sweet Caroline. And the trick in the Sweet Caroline, I actually, it was hard to do when I started because you had to, the sound took so long to come across the park, you had yeah. to turn it down for the bop, bop, bop part before you actually heard it. So you had to like know that it was like Sweet Cara, and then line would come across the park and the buh, buh, buzz would happen and you're bringing it back up at like the second buh. It is nice that we have new speakers. Uh, but yeah, so the, the, the experience you're remembering and, and whatever, that is definitely how it was. But now in stadium entertainment is enough of a thing that I think people throw money at it mostly. The, the only time I watch sports is occasionally I stay up late enough to watch the Super Bowl. That's on at a terrible time for you. 
Well, it is. Yeah, it usually starts like midnight or one in the morning. And and I don't. I mean, I know the names of some of the teams, but there's so many teams that you know came around since I watched football, and it it has turned into such a spectacle and such a choreographed spectacle, where you know action break. Uh, video drop in the 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 sort of what would you call them live photos of the of the guys all looking <laughs> at the camera crossing yep. their arms all doing yeah. it the same way yes, and and there's so much there's none of that airtime like there was back in the Howard Cosell days when it would just be a dude talking yeah it's much tighter across the board the whole the whole presentation uh, between TV and what's live in the stadium. Uh, you know, maybe that's MTV's fault in terms of introducing the whole world to quick cuts. Uh, who knows? Somebody would have if they hadn't. But uh, yeah, it's it's true. It's actually kind of funny. That was one of the things that guided me a little at the beginning at Fenway. Um, being Because if you listen to a baseball game on the radio, you can kind of hear those open sounds. Like there was a thing every day where we would just be quiet uh, in between batting practices and like let what, you know, nat- natural sound just play in the park. Because people are starting to come in, and it's like, you know, the magic baseball field and whatever. It's nice. To, that that can do it on its own. It doesn't need us to do anything, you know, to score it. And then the organist will play, and we'll get started, and it feels very baseball. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a crazy amount of production. I mean, the, the football thing, very often the question is just like, hey, can you have something in 11 seconds that'll work perfectly for 8 seconds? Yeah. You know, and you're... Just build a library of those to the point that you can reach for a button and hit it and go. So you've just got a library of cues that you can drop in on demand, improvised. Yeah. There's a piece of software called QLab, which uh, in its massivity can run like a Broadway show, including lights and mics and video and everything. They have an audio-only version of it that's basically like a cart machine um, with screens upon screens of different carts. And the big secret of it that it does, I actually wrote to them and they put this feature in, bless them, is it crossfades for you so i can just be playing a song and then run to the yeah. hit it and it this transition doesn't sound too bad yeah and you learn when to like do them you know yeah is is there a certain amount of music is there a certain list of music that you can play that's licensed for instance the nfl have to pay any licensing fee because i always hear the same songs um you know when i watch different teams it's you always see a crazy train and you always say you know you know what i'm talking about yeah i mean is there a, a certain set of music jock jams for example that's i think part of where jock jams came from originally um and uh which is cool but then that was in that was a lot of years ago that jock jams came out and i am of the yeah. opinion that you can do more than that um <laughs> actually licensing i can say every one of them reports to all of the licensing uh bureaus and I have to do, for hockey and football, I have to track every song I play. Um, and then for baseball, they do like 10 games a year. They just sort of do a sampling and extrapolate, which mostly means the, that I play a lot of indie rock on those days. <laughs> and it's the venue that pays. It's not the, it's not the broadcasters, I think. Not the broadcasters. It, I think it's the league. Because um, they're interested in the ears that are there for the public performance. Right, okay. Whatever gets picked up by TV, TV can't okay. use it, but if it if it's part of the natural sound of the game, then it's not a thing. Right. Because for concerts, it's the concert venue that pays the rights. Yes. When a band performs in a venue. Yeah. But I can understand that this is different. As you're saying, it's a public performance with, with both local and remote listeners. Right. 
I think there's, pro- I mean, they probably have some kind of arrangement with TV, but it's not anything I ever have to care about, blessedly. Yeah, yeah. Except you just you just dump a log from your software, and that's all they need. Well, it would be nice were it that easy. The one thing QLab really? is not really good at was logging, and so I actually oh. end up putting QLab into debug mode, and then wrote a lot of Python that takes that and turns it into an Excel file, uh, like by diffing the entries to figure out how long I played things and whatever. It's uh it's one of those things that's been a labor of love since for, since way back in baseball. And <laughs> now it's possible that after like six or seven years, it actually takes less time. It may, may be saving me time now, not in the aggregate, but just every year when I have yeah, to do them. Right. Um, but anyhow, yeah, it's, um, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it, but it is, the nice thing is there's no restriction. Like the question in terms of just like, is there a list? There isn't a list. Um, you can play whatever, just a lot of places don't put in the effort to have some variety. Right. They just go with the standards. I always figured that they were, like you say, they were trying to uh, to reach a certain kind of audience, and they found that these songs test well. These classic rock songs, essentially, they work on the radio, why not work in the stadium? That's why I just took the easy way out and, you know, picked the top ten classic rock songs. I, I mean, I think it would work, but that also depends on where you are, right? Like, the fan base is going to be different yep. in different cities, so it mm-hmm. I, it doesn't get carried over too, too much. I know also, I mean... Without getting into like a really long story, I will just say that as you advance in the playoff rounds, the interest that the league takes in your musical programming increases, just as Hmm. the TV also is like, what if you did this? I mean, at one point, I think it was during the World Series, they wanted our PA announcer at Fenway to say like, okay, fans, get cheering because we're going to do a crowd shot next and you're all going to be on TV or whatever, which I was like, that that's not going to result in cheering. Not in Boston. <laughs> no. like that, that's gonna be it's gonna be like an aviary in here. But um, yeah, it was. Uh, those are the examples, and of course, eventually we refused them. We're like, it's not what you want. I promise, we'll make yeah. them cheer on their own. Um, so it's varying levels of control. But I mean, to me, the whole secret of the thing in terms of what you play is you sort of want to play things that are familiar and not necessarily expected, because then people get excited to hear the song, and that just channels into the energy for the whole building but are there a number of songs that they expect to hear in every game that are like the team's emblematic songs yeah sure i mean the red sox have sweet caroline uh josie which is actually your love by the outfield um is a staple now at patriots games but we don't play it every game because it's not always like in the bag if that makes sense and usually teams have scoring songs and victory songs both the bruins and the red sox play dirty water uh, at the end of it by the Standells. Uh, so there's those kinds of things. And then the other stuff you can just sort of create. It's kind of funny. There's a an LCD sound system song called Dance Yourself Clean. That like It's very long, and three minutes into it, there's just this heavy synth hit that's amazing. And I looped it, and I play it a lot for doubles, because it works in baseball. Somebody hits a double, and it's about the right timing. And then one day I played the real whole song, I think in pregame for a, a playoff game, and... Like, all the people in the control room were like, oh, the double song. Like, it's a real song. Like, there's more of it. And I'm like, yeah, 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 this is a thing, you know. Um, so people get used Wait, to stuff that way, if that makes sense. You play music while they're playing, not just in between. In between, but once the guy is safe on base and, like, they're throwing oh, okay. the ball around, like, there, a little right. time is allotted to celebrate. Um, right, And okay. then usually you're going into the walk-up song for the next guy. Um, so there's, I mean, they try and fit it in, but... None of those sports 
Yes, none of those sports let you actually play music during play. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think so. Which is actually crazy. Me and the audio tech for the Patriots both have to watch uh, when we're on defense. One watches the clock, and the other is watching the players because if they go over the ball, then we have to cut it immediately, no matter what the clock says. And it is not possible to watch both at the same time. Oh, one of my favorites is when they do a kickoff, and you have to stop the music at a certain point. Yeah. Do you cut or do you fade when that happens? You kind of cut. This um, <laughs> a cut. In- miraculous ways i mean you know it's a very fast fade but uh yeah fast fade that's good but it's it's a good you know i used to play bob o'reilly by the who in that spot because just as that ending comes and like the guy is going to kick and you're just just cheering for the song to finish at that point being like come on come on like run right at the right time and kick the ball so the song ends and like come pretty close once or twice you know those kinds of things. Do, do you get feedback from the players about the music? Uh, sometimes players, I mean, we get feedback from everybody, right? Um, the players. <laughs> it's Boston. Yeah. It's Boston. Yes. People have opinions. Um, people either have opinions or are surprised to hear that there's music at the game, um, which is wild to me. But, you know, hey, I didn't think of it until one day when I was there and my predecessor made some musical joke and I suddenly looked up and was like, oh, somebody's doing this. Like, this is a real thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, mostly the player feedback, you know, I always laugh. There's one point every year uh, when whatever, like usually it's baseball, but like the team is in like the doldrums at some point and the feedback is like, why aren't you playing the home run song? You know, and I'm like, well, <laughs> you, you have to hit the home runs, guys. I Just because I play the song doesn't mean we score. Um, so there are those moments, but in general, it's usually pretty positive. The Patriots guys, they more or less pick the music for warmups. So there's some feedback there, but yeah, anyhow, it's a, uh, it's a strange blend of different influences that make it work out. And then along with that, just whatever happens to be in my head at that time. So do you get more free reign at the end of a game when a game's over that while the people are leaving the stadium, do you get like 10 or 15 minutes to play what you want? Uh, not really. Mostly that's scripted because that is like a big winning moment, right? I mean, there's the victory song, hopefully. Um, actually it's funny. I mean, not to be like that guy who works for the Patriots, but they win a lot of games and, uh, <laughs> unlike the Red Sox. Yeah. Well, they were win- used to, yeah, they win plenty, whatever. Um, yeah. but it's the Patriots actually hadn't lost, I think in my tenure. And then the game ended and the, the, uh, the audio guy looked at me and he was just like, all right, we'll play something, I guess. And I was like, I don't. What I don't know what to play if they lose. Like I don't have a losing song. I've never done this before ever. The organist plays at Fenway, and like at Bruins games, basically if they lose, they do a couple reads, and then everybody walks out in silence, which I kind of like. That everybody yeah, has to just sit there and nice. think about how it didn't work well, you know. So for for me, I I think the kind of music you know the kind of and I'm again I'm going back in the seventies. The kind of music that the Saturday Night Live house band would play at the end of the show. Yep. They probably still sit, play the same kind of sort of slow thing. four four blues guitar stuff with yeah. sax and that would be the walkout music for me. Yeah. I to me actually the one that comes to mind that's close to that, but a little off is if you remember the part in Stripes where Bill Murray is like, and then depression set in and they have this like very sad <laughs> little oboe where you do 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 like that would be great. Or like the incredible Hulk walking away music. This is my problem. I would do stuff like that, which is why generally it's scripted. <laughs> well, there's no sports now. So you have decided to channel your energy online and um, you've been doing uncertain. Tell us about uncertain times. How did that come about? Uh, someone suggested it. 
Um, or someone suggested something to the effect of like, I wish there was a way for you to still play music. I don't, I, w- I should go back and figure it out and see where it came from. But it was the very first weekend, you know, we were supposed to have a hockey game on March 12th, which is when Massachusetts shut down. Um, and then I think that was also the same day that like the NBA shut down and, and really things in, in the U S at least started to steamroll in terms of like, Nope, this is happening. Everyone stay home. Uh, and, you know, I have the background having done, I did radio, uh, college radio, and then very briefly, I was the last person hired by WFNX um, at the very beginning of my career, which was a hell of a dream, uh, although a brief one. And um, so I had the background in radio, and I've been an internet guy and a programmer for like 20 years, so I could paste it together pretty well on my own, and I said, oh, let's try it, sure, we'll do a radio show. And the, I did one as a demo the day before St. Patrick's Day. And it blew up. Like, there were just tons of people listening. And I was like, oh, I guess we're doing this. This is real. Okay. And it's kind of just been a runaway train since then. Like, it's starting to kind of, like, get into a routine now. But today was episode 53, I want to say, since all this started. And uh, sometimes I'll do, like, a Saturday night one. Because, you know, there's different music you play during the day and at night, obviously. Sure. And after doing, like, two weeks of day music, I was, like, I had a stack, basically, of, like, nah, too dark, too dark. And then I was like, well, I'm going to play all that if you guys want to tune in. Um, and it's been great. I mean, there's a live chat and there's like a pretty good community built around it. The whole idea was just to play something where, you know, there's that magical thing with radio where everyone is listening to the same thing at the same time and you feel a connection that way. And that was basically my idea. And I mean, now I hear people are just like, thank you for the PSA that lets me know that it is Wednesday. Uh, <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yes, today is Wednesday. So, And like now Fridays have evolved into being like a dance party, which is great for me because I'm, you know, I'm often a little worn out by Friday and like weirdly playing a four-hour dance party is actually kind of easy because I've done it a bunch <laughs> of times. So I can just be like, oh, hey, we'll pull all that together. Um, so yeah, that's how it was all born. And then it's funny you brought up licensing before. I have become much smarter about licensing than yeah. I was. Which is to say, not at all. I thought I knew a little bit about it, but it turns out I knew very little. Yeah, it's really complicated. Well, tell us a little about it, because it's it's something that neither of us have been able to figure out to any kind of... Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. And uh, how many listeners... How do they How do they do it? How, how do you pay? And I mean, I'm not expecting you to tell us exactly what you pay, but I mean, how it how it actually works. It's um for something that's my size, which is to say fairly small, it is pretty straightforward. Um, I think it did help having the background from the pro sports to be able to actually just know the name of the licensing agencies. Like if I didn't know what these five things were, I would never have figured it out. You have to report to five different agencies. Yes. BMI, wow. ASCAP, CSAC, GMR, and then sound exchange is the people who license the written work as opposed to the performance. If that makes sense. The lyrics. Well, then, then the notes, I mean the actual song. Oh, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and that distinction is one that, I mean, that... Yeah. Publishing performance, but there's always been a distinction, publishing performance. There's always been separate, yeah. And so, in short, it basically works. I've had to do a lot of the same tricks with logging, actually. Um, and although it's, I'm lucky that some of the software logs for me, and now I can... Anyway, uh, it basically works like number of listeners, but you have to be able to track number of listeners by song. So in every... I have to be able to say how many people are listening and whenever I play each track. Um, and then that gets computed, basically just gets multiplied together. I think per head, it's like 17 hundredths of a penny or something like that. It's, it's not too bad. If I had lots and lots of listeners, it would add up quickly. Um, 
And I think one of them, either BMI or ASCAP, actually just takes 3% of your income off the top. Um, which wow, luckily is not, not a ton. I mean, I've been doing no? it. Well, I've been funding it. I started funding it. I set up a Patreon off the bat, having talked to some people about how that worked. And uh, that's been great. And it, honestly, I just kept, I said on the show, I'm like, hey, uh, you know, th- this licensing thing is a big deal. Like, they're going to come and take all of my paperback books and my Subaru. <laughs> like, I don't have a lot of assets, but they will take them, uh, you know. And uh, so people responded a lot and they were into it. And uh, the really the thing about the show that is kind of the best part for me, in addition, well, the first best part is the fact that I have something to do every day, which is nice, which obviously has sometimes a double-edged sword. Um, you know, just last night we were talking on the air earlier about how my neighbor's one of my neighbors seemed to go through a breakup, uh, and then they were sitting on the porch drinking a lot, playing music across the intersection, which I thought was cute when it was like Purple Rain, and then it got to be <laughs> Nothing Compares to You, and then they started singing along, and then it was like the Smiths and like whatever, and I was like, okay, <laughs> I have sympathy for you, what you're going through in this tough time, but on the other hand, like, I was trying to make a hockey metal show, and <laughs> we just couldn't do it, fell asleep, um, but it came together fine. But the biggest thing about it that is really the like, you know... The great part is, even now, like, even after it's been two months, what is this, week 11 of the show, I mean, I get people who reach out and they're just like, hey, man, like, this really saved my ass today. You know, like, I was really down or, you know, I had to do a bunch of work that I'd been putting off because I haven't felt like doing it and, like, I got it done and, you know, that stuff is great. Like, every day that happens, I'm like, all right, this is worth it. You know, it's crazy, but the fact that, like, Every couple of days, you just hear from people, and like it makes them happy and and helps them stay sane. It's funny because you think that if people need background music, they're just going to go put a playlist on a streaming service, or or they'll turn on you know actual radio, but then they get commercials and news breaks and all that, and that that just cuts it. So you're just doing the music. Do you talk in between? Uh, no, yes, I do it. Close to a commercial radio format. I tr- basically do yeah. a break like every 25 to 30 minutes, and then I will right. talk. This is the other weird part is obviously in commercial radio, you're trying to get in and out very quickly. You know, your break yeah. is like 90 seconds. But a thing, a bunch of feedback I got right off the bat was that people wanted to hear a voice in a lot of cases. Yeah. Probably a lot of people who are, you know, they're living by themselves or they're just yeah. in quiet situations. And I mean... You guys can tell. We've been talking for a little while. I can rattle on forever, as I think anybody yep. in radio can. But yeah. uh, it is crazy that people just want to hear it, even if I'm just talking about like some random story about the music. The, um, it, it reminds me of, of the way I was lucky enough when I was a radio DJ to work on the tail end of, um, of an era when the DJs actually got to play and pick and play their own music. And this is like pre-Lee Abrams. You know, this is pre-AOR. And as soon as it became formatted, it wasn't fun anymore. But I mean, I was lucky enough to have that. And, and it's a really fun thing because you'd have a favorite DJ. You could have a favorite DJ because they played the mu- you, you liked their vibe. You liked what they played. They had a good sense of humor. They talked about fun things that you liked. That's the kind of DJ that I grew up listening to, but they don't have those anymore. They try to imitate them. So when I listen to your show, it's, it's, it has that same, not that it's collegiate because if it was collegiate, it wouldn't sound as polished as it does. But um, because you're a guy that we know, you're, you're, al- you're already have, have some kind of stature. It's fun to hear the things that you have to say. And we know who you are. And 
the, the way the music works and the way it's, you know, you can tell you put a lot of thought into it and a lot of work into it. That's what I enjoy because, as you say, we're all listening to this stream of music you're playing, as Kirk said before the show. There's no algorithm here. It's you. You're the algorithm. And I, it's just fun yeah. to listen to. We've talked to people. We talked to the guy from Radio Paradise. And um, even so, he's still using a, a computer program to sort the music. But you're doing you're you're pulling the discs. You're going through the crates. And, yeah, I'm. Uh, well, I have it digitally, but effectively, yes. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. um, it is. And if I have folders that are just called crates, it's really dumb. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, thank you. That was thank you for a lot of that. It was very kind. But uh, that is, I think, the weird hybrid of having done five years of college radio and a hot minute of commercial radio. Um, right. You know, I was, and it's it. To me, that is what radio, what, what you just described is what radio has always been in my head. You know, one of the, I was lucky to grow up listening to WFNX, uh, which in Boston was an alternative radio station that was independent forever. Um, and it had that same sort of feeling where DJs had an identity. And I mean, they were playing a lot of stuff that was part of a format, but there was a lot of latitude, um, particularly early on about how that sort of came together. And, oh, sure. uh, and the crazy thing was actually... So being the Red Sox DJ managed to get me into the FNX thing the week before that was sold the Wednesday before my first full-time Sunday shift. So I never actually <laughs> went on the air. I trained. I did like the Sunday morning at six, you know, like learn where all the buttons are shift. Um, but that was incredibly valuable because then I knew how, whatever it's called, profit, like the radio station software worked that helped me at the other commercial places I worked. But I say all that to say, the great part was, you know, all the staff left, and then FNX was just a robot rolling the same playlists over and over again for two months. And I was like, well, this is unacceptable. Like, this has been the most guiding musical force in my life. And I managed to sort of parlay the Red Sox thing into, I actually DJed the last night of a WFNX. So they were going off the air on Friday, and I came in Thursday at 7, and it was exactly as you described, free form. Here's the songs that I remember from FNX. Like, let's not let two months of group love be the end of this. You know, like, let's try right. and keep it, you know, interesting and play weird Boston indie bands that don't exist anymore, which I learned about on that station. So I'm thinking back to, I mean, for me, the golden age of radio is WNEWFM, late 70s, Alice and Steel at night, where she could play a, a whole album side or she could play a 15 minute track by yes or elp or she could play yep. a bunch of singles and you had the voice you had the atmosphere why can't we go back to that is radio dead in the states uh human beings cost money yep and you have to insure them too uh speaking as a guy who got downsized because the company wanted to go public and they wanted to decrease their, you know, what they, what their insurance costs. So everybody with a family was let go. Oh, health insurance. Yeah. Health insurance. I, th yeah. I thought you meant insuring your voice or something. Oh, no, no, no. You know, like health Jane Mansfield insuring her legs, that kind of thing. No, it's a, it's a huge, it's a huge trend right now in trying to, you know, get everything down to essentially what they've got is a CPU in every city. That's all they need. Yeah. They don't need people at all. And they have people who voice track, like they pre-record their breaks and they just get loaded in as if they were songs. And, you know, I've talked to people who have friends who did six morning shows at the same time in six different cities, each one under a different name. Uh -huh. And they just, that was how they were hired. <laughs> they just like sat in a cube and did this all day. And with like the uh -huh. web, you know, with a web page open that tells you, oh, it's a sunny day today here and somewhere I'm not, you know, and, and go from there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that sort of idealized history of it and... 
you know, I've been in a friendly war with the algorithms that pick the music for a long time, uh, if that makes sense. And so I think one of the things that, you know, the other thing is just the ability to take hard left turns. You know, like the algorithm's not going to do that, as proven by the breakup set that went on last night that went from Purple Rain and <laughs> nothing compares to you. And I'm like, oh, good work, both by Prince. Nice job. I remember when, uh, what's it called? Pandora was young. We used to play a game, which I got good at, uh, of going into bars and figuring out what artist was the seed in their Pandora channel, um, which half the time was talking heads, so fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you could figure it out pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, it's it's great to sort of have that radio feeling continue to exist. You know, I, I listen to the radio here on the BBC occasionally, and no commercials, you know, DJs, they may not get a lot of time to talk, but it sounds like in the States, all of that, and I hate to sound nostalgic, all of that stuff that really peaked in the 70s with FM radio, it just got killed by MTV, which led the way of a new approach to listening to music. And since then, I guess it's the concentration of, of the ownership of radio stations as well. Yeah, I think that's probably a big part of it. Uh, the ability to run so many stations, you know, like a assembly line, basically. Yeah. Like a network. It's crazy, actually, because they're turning radio, broadcast radio in, into another internet. It's just broadcast over the air, which is, to me, 19th century technology. Don't get me started. So, so. Sure. But, I mean, that's the other thing is th there, are, there are pockets out there. I mean, there are some shows on Sirius uh, that I have friends who used to do commercial radio that do sets there, and they have a lot of latitude in what it is they program. Um, you know, there's a lot of other people out there making streaming internet radio, I have discovered. Um, yep. And a lot of them are also running autopilot stations. Um, but, you know, there are those out there who are trying to, to keep the radio feeling going. Um, but I agree with you. It is it is very much a, sp a specific boutique -y thing at this point. Yeah, and not it's an artisanal free range type thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was really hopeful actually when Apple did the. Um, they have their own radio thing, right? Beats One or something yeah, like that. Beats. Well, they have Beats One, but then they have all these algorithm based radios as well. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the algorithm one, but I was when they started to be like, we're making a real radio station with actual DJs. I was like, interesting. And unfortunately, what they play is not what I like to listen to. Um, but I was in, I was kind of hoping that might end up being, I mean, almost like a BBC thing where you have the different channels that are. Well, that's what we thought. If they've called one Beats One, they're going to have Beats Two, Three, Four, and Five, and it is a very there, there's real tunnel vision in what they play on Beats right. One. It's pop, it's hip hop, yeah. It's it's really, I mean, it's not a minority, but it's a minority in the sense that you're excluding so many people from that kind of music. Well, not only the music, but the pres that sort of presentation where yeah. you have DJs and you know that sort of lifestyle. But I know there are people like Elton John that do shows and others, but you're you're not going to just tune in and find what you want if you don't specifically like Taylor Swift and I don't know Ariana Grande or whatever. Very and much center of the bell curve. The the idea of I mean they. It, they have so much money. They could make stations <laughs> for everything. They could do, you know, country and Latin and dad rock and yacht rock and classical and jazz. And it would be like a no-brainer. And I don't understand why they don't do it. I mean, from my perspective, Nobody it would does. be more fun to do it all at once. <laughs> do all of those things, you know? Yeah. So what, what are the signs for sports reopening in the States? Are the seasons, the baseball seasons not going to happen? It is. Each one has its own story. The shortest one is football, which is, seems to be going with a no-fans, business-as-usual approach, uh, I think in the hope because their season starts so late that it won't be an issue. Yeah. Uh, 
as of today, when we're recording, hockey just announced their plan for getting rid of their canceling the rest of the regular season and then doing playoffs in a sort of like an odd format, but that is it like a round robin or something? What kind of they're going to do a round robin tournament for seeding and then from the seeding go through possibly abbreviated early rounds and then do the regular seven game rounds for the conference and the Stanley Cup, which seems like a pretty good approach. I am a little bit sad because, and this was actually what occasioned today's deeply rage and guitar filled show. Um, unsurprisingly, since Massachusetts is pretty hard hit by the COVID, uh, Boston, they're, they're doing it in hub cities, like two cities per conference with isolated hotels and the whole whatever. And Boston is not one of them. So the odds that mm. despite the oh, Bruins bummer. having the best record in the league, it is probably not to happen that I'm going to end up getting to do playoff hockey. I got to do my first full-time year. I ended up doing all the way to Stanley cup game seven. So like, I'm already a very lucky guy in this regard for having this job and then getting to do that. Excuse my naivete, but did Boston win? We did not. And you want to know the worst part? Not the worst part. You want to know a really bad thing about losing the Stanley Cup in Game 7 other than the basic fact of that is that you have to produce (laughs) the other guy's victory ceremony when it happens in your rink. (laughs) So, like, we had the tracks. You had to play, like, the Cups entry music and whatever else, and it was just like, oh. Who won? Um, St. Louis. St. Louis Blues. St. Louis. And do, do Boston fans hate St. Louis? Is it one of those things? Boston fans hate every other. Yeah. Fans. Yeah. At least, that's, at least that's a hockey team that was around when I went to hockey games. It's still St. Louis Blues, right? Yes, I think so. It's funny. Yeah. This is the part where you find out that I'm a theater kid who has jobs in sports. Because the number, <laughs> you know, I may not technically be able to name all the positions on a football team. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I, I do what I can with it. And hockey, it's only actually my third year, so I'm figuring it out. But. Yeah, it was the same team we played in 1970. Because actually, I played as as a very subtle means of psyching people out. All music from 1970 uh, <laughs> in the entire pregame to all of that, which probably someone in that place appreciated. Um, yeah. I don't know who, <laughs> but uh, but you know, I mean, there's 70s music is a lot of it's very good hockey music, so it works out great. That whole eight track big American car slacker rock type situation. Yeah, yeah, I love playing that stuff. Um, so, yeah. And then baseball is, I think, owners and players fighting over money. So, status quo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but all of this is all contingent on what happens in, in the yeah, real life. So. Sure. I mean, they're talking about playing soccer here without any fans. But just on the news yesterday, a goaltender on one team tested positive. So, they're worried about other players on the team, even though it's like they're training, like trying to stay six feet apart when they're training. But it's not really, I just can't imagine, you know, baseball, okay, you, you don't have to get too close together unless you're going to tag a guy. Well, no, the, the catcher and the batter and the ump. There's not, I mean, so I'm very lucky in that my partner is a nurse practitioner. So, sometimes I get to have a Dakota ring for the things it says. And I believe... Yeah. It depends on how, you know, it's the levels of precaution, you know, like there's ex- extended exposures like 15 minutes in close proximity. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you're 18 times more likely to get it indoors than outdoors. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's wonderful just to have Maggie to be able to vet and be like, hey, is this, you know, like uh, everybody was very excited about antibody testing. And right off the bat, she said, like, yeah. that's not a thing. And then just yeah. today, the CDC is like, oh, those might not be good. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, oh. And in the middle, I got to tell a friend who was going to go spend a bunch of money on one not to do it. So it was good. Yeah. Uh, We did actually, I will say, one of the best episodes of Uncertain Times yet. Uh, The So I don't take requests 
generally. Although the live chat will sometimes like mention a thing and that will work and I'll just slip it in real quick. Um, but what I do have them request is themes. And so we do theme shows. Like today was ended up being a theme show, though it wasn't intended. I usually try and like traverse a lot of ground in terms of genres and whatever. But uh, they asked for Maggie to do a show. So she actually curated a whole three-hour show. And we did a kind of hybrid podcast radio format where we would do radio. And then like one break, every once in a while, we would talk for half an hour about current events and whatever. Um, yeah, it was a blast. It was a very... I really enjoyed that format, actually. I mean, mm. I'll need to figure out, I guess, guests at some point. This is the really, like any, you know, startup enterprise like this, my list of exciting projects to do is very long and very exciting and very yeah. only one guy. But but you've got a flexibility in, in establishing your format. And, and if you're getting this feedback from the audience, which you didn't get from radio back in the days, you can, like, negotiate with your audience to find what they want and find what you want to do and get common ground. And, and that's kind of interesting. It, the, the theme thing works really well for that. It started, actually, um, I want to say the first month, I did a thing that we just called, like, Walk Up Wednesdays, where I would take player walk-up songs that were my favorite which is a question that nobody asks. You know, they might be like, "What's what, what would yours be or whatever? Um, and I sort of went through and then told some stories about different songs and whatever. And that was the beginning of the themes. But I did another one that's all songs for movie soundtracks, which as a former video store guy, I have literally a wall of them right <laughs> off here and a lot of deep cuts that are fun. So that was a great show. And it's fun to get people's input to unusual things like that. Like, actually, due to my neighbors across the street last night, we're going to do a breakup songs show sometime next week, which is going to be hilarious because, oh, man, breakup songs, there's plenty of those. So, uh, yeah, it'll be a good time. We've gone a little over, so we want to wrap it up here. But want to thank you for uh, spending some time with us because I've been just fascinated by the whole idea of doing DIY. And, of course, the music you play is uh, some of my favorite stuff, too. So. Uh, it's just been great for hearing about it, and I, I wish you the most success. And hopefully you can get back to doing what you'd like to do in the stadiums again soon, too. That would be nice. TJ Connolly, thank you very much for being with us. Yeah, thanks, guys. This was great. We'd like to thank our Patreon patrons for helping us produce the next track. You know, this is an independent podcast. We don't have network affiliation or sponsorships or anything like that. We rely on contributions from our listeners. So if you'd like to help us out in that way, we'd appreciate it. Just visit patreon.com slash the next track. Time now for our next tracks. Kirk, what you got? I'm going to pick a next track from a guest that we had on the show last year, Dave Harrington. Dave was on. He's a guitarist from Brooklyn. He was in Dark Side and the Dave Harrington group. He has a new record that came out called Tura Laura, T-U-R-A-L-U-R-A, and it is essentially a new band that he's calling Harrington, Gustin, and Zahn. Sounds like a law firm. Dave on guitar, Jeremy Gustin on drums, and Spencer Zahn on bass. So these guys hang out in a bar called Lunatico. I think the accent's over the A, so it's probably Lunatico in Brooklyn. And they used to jam together and they decided to just do some recording over a weekend. It's a short album. It's only 36 minutes long, but it's a kind of jazz guitar trio, so jazz, bass, and drums. I, I don't want to say a lot like Bill Frizzle because it makes it sound like it's a copy of Bill Frizzle. It's not, but it's got that same Bill Frizzle vibe. Short songs, five minutes, four minutes, three minutes, really attractive music. 
totally different than Dave Harrington's other recordings. And, and what I find interesting is how varied his music is from something like Dark Star, which was energetic with a big beat, to this, which is a lot more laid back. So, Turavora by Harrington, Gustin, and Zahn. Doug, what have you got? One of the things I really enjoy about TJ's radio show is that he doesn't hold back on playing the good old local Boston music. There used to be a tremendous Boston music scene back in the 80s, late 70s, early 80s. A lot of bands, a, a lot of clubs, a lot of places to go, places like the Paradise and Bun Ratties and the Channel and the Rat. There isn't that sort of scene anymore. And I miss it because it was a lot of great music. It was quite a treat to come up to Boston from, from Providence, where I lived, and, and go to the clubs and see some of the Boston bands. There is a, uh, a collection of CDs that Rhino put out that sort of documents a lot of the music that, w that came out in the 70s and the 80s uh, by region. And the one I'm going to recommend is called DIY Mass Ave, the Boston scene, 1975 to 83. This has a tremendous collection of incredible Boston bands. Some of them I'm sure you've heard of, some you haven't. The Real Kids are represented. The Cars, they're one of their early demos. Uh, one of my favorite Boston bands, The Neighborhoods are on here. Uh, the Neats, The Atlantics, The Del Fuegos, The Outlets. These are all super local, cool bands. Uh, back in the day. Most of these songs on here are singles that were released, and that was huge back then. So many local bands put out singles. There was just so much music you could listen to. But this is a good one. If you can find it, it's not on Apple Music, and it may be available to stream on Amazon, but it is, uh, it's a wonderful collection. If you can find any of these DIY albums, they're all great. This one is DIY Mass Ave, The Boston Scene, 1975 to 83. It's my next track. This was episode number 184 of The Next Track. Thank you for listening. You can start or join a conversation in the comments section of this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. You can follow us on Twitter, too, at NextTrackCast. And don't forget, you can support The Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. We're ad-free and self-sustaining, so your support is what keeps us going. Visit patreon.com slash thenexttrack. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.